story eleven of the crimson gardenia and other tales of adventure by rex beach this librivox recording is in the public domain story eleven the brand part one the valley was very still no breath of wind had stirred it for many days it was smothered so heavily in snow that the firs were bent even the bare birch limbs carried precarious burdens and when gravity relieved some sagging branch the mass beneath welcomed the avalanche so softly that the only sound was a whisper as the bough returned to its position the brooding cold had cleared the air of sound as it had of moisture no birds piped there was no murmur of running water no evidence of animal life except an occasional wavering line etched into the white by the feet of some tiny rodent the rolling hills were sparsely timbered against an empty north sky a jumble of saw-toothed peaks were limbed like carvings and everywhere was the same unending hush of winter the desolation was complete yet there was life here for spaced at regular intervals across the gulch were mounds of white each forming the lips of a rectangular cavity resembling an open grave they were perfectly aligned and separated from each other by precisely thirty paces surrounding each was a clearing out of which freshly cut stumps protruded bearing snow-caps fashioned like the chapeau of a drum-major there were six of these holes and a seventh was in process of digging over the last one a crude windlass straddled and the heap of debris at its feet showed raw and dirty against the snow out of the aperture a thin vapour rose lazily coating the drum and rope with rime from the clearing a narrow trail wound to a cabin beside the creek bank mcgill came out into the morning and with him came his three giant malamutes wolf gray shaggy and silent like their master he eyed the drooping white-robed forest and the desolate ridges that shut him in then said in a voice harsh from disuse hello people anything happened yet he made it a practice to speak aloud whenever he thought of it for the hush of an arctic winter plays pranks with a person's mind and there is a certain effect of sanity in spoken words senseless though they be after a moment he repeated his greeting good morning i said can't you answer then his cheeks flamed above his heavy beard and he yelled loudly good morning you blank can't you say anything he glared reproachfully at a giant spruce from the lower limbs of which depended the quarters of several caribou tom you ain't gone back on me say hello you and me are friends speak up after a time he shook his head murmuring it's no use i've got to make all the noise there is if it would only blow or something i'd like to hear the wind he strode toward the prospect hole the dogs following sedately their feet making no sound in the snow they too felt the weight of isolation and never left his side arriving at the dump mcgill stood motionless beside the windlass for a long time staring into nothingness with eyes that were strained and miserable when the cold bit him he roused himself and addressed the steam-filled opening dispiritedly so you didn't freeze up on me that's good i'll get bedrock to-day and show you up for a dirty cheat pay bah there ain't none he descended a ladder at one end of the shaft gathered the charred logs tied them into a bundle with the end of the windlass rope then mounting the ladder hoisted them to the surface 
next hooking on the ungainly wooden bucket he lowered it after which he descended for a second time there began a long and monotonous series of ascents and descents for every bucket of gravel meant two journeys the full depth of the pit it was a tedious and primitive process involving a tremendous waste of effort but he was methodical and each time the tub rose it carried a burden sufficient to tax the strength of two men he handled it easily however and by midday had removed the thawed ground and scraped a sample from close to frost he laid a light fire then took the heaping gold pan under his arm and set off for his cabin accompanied by the malamutes when he had prepared and eaten his lunch he seated himself before his panning tub a square box half filled with water melted from the creek ice and began the process of testing his prospect having worked down the gravel and sediment to a half handful he spread it with a movement of his wrists leaving stranded at the tail of the black sand a few specks of yellow these he eyed for a moment before washing them away too light as usual he said aloud the dogs stirred and raised their heads always pretty near but not quite but it's here somewhere and i'll get it if i can last out this damned silence that rimrock didn't lie and old pitka didn't lie either nobody lies except women he scowled at some remembrance his whole face retreated behind a bristling mask of ferocity he sat motionless over the tub of muddy water until the fire died out of the stove and the chill warned him that it was time to resume work for many weeks how many mcgill neither knew nor cared he had pursued the routine of his search he had penetrated this valley alone unseen in the late autumn and every day since then he had labored steadily mechanically almost without physical sensation for all feeling was centred in his memory which never gave him time to consider his surroundings spring was coming now the sun was already peeping over the southern hills in the middle of its daily journey and during this time there had been but two interruptions which had roused him from his apathy one had occurred when in quest of fresh meat he had discovered that he had neighbors ten miles to the west he had seen their camp from the divide then had turned and slunk away cursing them for intruding upon his privacy the other was when a herd of caribou had crossed at that time he had given brief rein to his desire to kill seeing ahead of his sights the face of the man who had sent him into the wilderness he could have bagged half the herd but checked himself in time realizing that it was not barclay at whom he levelled his rifle but defenceless animals the carcasses of which were useless barclay the name maddened mcgill he wondered dully why he continued to work so steadily when barclay had robbed him of the need for gold the answer to this he supposed was easier than the answer to those other questions that forever troubled him he had to do something or die of his thoughts and he knew no other work than this even in his busiest hours memories of barclay and the woman obtruded themselves it was dark when he had fired the hole a second time and returned to his cabin he had not reached bedrock and this fact irritated him he was growing very irritable it seemed 
lighting his pipe of rank sheep-dip tobacco when the supper-dishes were finally cleaned and the dogs fed he once more prepared for the profitless process of panning but he noticed that this sample of gravel was different to any he had yet found being of a peculiar ashen colour he felt it with practised fingers and discovered it to be gritty and full of sediment feels good he said aloud but i'll bet it's barren he had panned so many samples that all eagerness all curiosity as to the outcome had long since disappeared therefore his movements were purely perfunctory as he dissolved the clay lumps and washed the gravels down he paused halfway through the operation to dry his hands and relight his pipe then fell to thinking of barclay and the woman once more and remained so for a long time when he resumed his task it was with glazed unseeing eyes he was about to dump the last dregs carelessly when something just slipping over the edge of the pan caught his eye and caused him to tilt the receptacle abruptly the breath whistling in his throat roused the dogs mcgill closed his eyes for an instant then reached unsteadily for the candle a movement of his wrist ran the water across the pan bottom and spread the black sand thinly instantly there leaped out against the black metal a heap of bright clean yellow particles which lay as if glued together coarse gold coarse gold he whispered then cursed in the weak meaningless manner of men under great excitement not trusting himself to hold the pan he set it upon the table but without removing his eyes from it when his nerves had steadied he ran the prospect down all the time muttering in his beard he dried it over the fire blew the iron sand free with his breath then pushed the particles into a heap striving to estimate their value there's half an ounce he said finally eight dollars a pan god that's big big it's another klondike he rose and ran bareheaded out into the night followed by the dogs then stood staring at the smoke as it ascended vertically above his shaft like a giant night-growing plant of some kind he was tempted to descend the ladder and tear the crackling logs apart but thought better of it swinging his eyes along the valley rim that stood out black against the aurora he lifted his long arms it's mine all mine understand he cried the words loudly wildly as if challenging the silence it's no good to me but it's mine and by god i'll keep it mcgill reached bedrock the next evening and spent most of the night panning the pile of scrapings he had collected from the bottom of the pit if the top of the streak had been rich the lower concentration was amazing every seam in the shattered limestone which stood on end like sluice riffles contained little flattened pumpkin seeds of gold they lay embedded in the clay stringers like plums in a pudding or as if some lavish hand had inserted them there as coins are slipped into the slot of a child's savings bank he could see them before the dirt was half washed but took a supreme pleasure nevertheless in watching the yellow pile grow as the sediment disappeared a baking-powder can was half filled when he had finished it told him unmistakably the magnitude of his riches he was a wealthy man wealthier than he had ever dreamed of being there was more where this came from and the gulch lay unappropriated from end to end 
fortune had come in a day and he would never want so long as he lived his thoughts were wild and chaotic for he was half mad from the silence but what use to make of his discovery he hardly knew since he had slunk away from the world ablaze with hatred for his fellow-men intending to live alone for the rest of his days his grudge was as bitter now as then and he determined therefore to keep his find a secret that would be a grim if unsatisfactory sort of revenge he reflected he would take what he wished and let other men wear out their lives searching unsuccessfully those strangers to the westward for instance would toil and suffer through the long winter then leave discouraged there was money here for them and for hundreds thousands like them but he decided to guard his secret and to let it die with him mcgill pictured the result of this news as he gave it out the stampede the headlong rush that would bring men from every corner of the north he saw this silent valley bared of its brooding forest and filled with people he saw a log city in the flats down by the river he heard the bass blasts of steamboats the shrilling of sawmills the sound of music from dance halls the click of checks and roulette balls the noise of revelry no 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 he rose and shouted into the empty silence of his cabin i won't do it i won't i won't but the voices called to him all through the night he rose early for they would not let him rest and during the darkness a terrible hunger had grown upon him it was the hunger for companionship for speech his secret was too great for imprisonment it threatened to burst the confines of the valley by its own tremendous force he knew he could never sleep with it for it would smother him vampire-like it would suck the life from his veins and the reason from his brain when he had eaten he pocketed the baking-powder tin slipped into his snowshoes and crossing the gulch climbed the westward hills that hid his neighbors the dogs went with him end of story eleven part one